Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We're going to have some fun today, and we're going to talk to somebody who is a pioneer in the marketing automation area. But before we get started, as we've been doing with all the recent shows, I'm starting by talking about one of my 20 tips for solopreneurs. As we're leading up to that six-year anniversary of me working for myself, you know, over time, people have asked me, what have you learned? And so I put together these 20 tips for going to work for yourself, and we've been launching every show with one. And today, we are up to one that I'm actually not very good at. I think it's a great tip but I kind of fall short. And that is take some time off. You know, when you work for yourself, you got to wear all the hats. You got to do the accounting. And this time of year, you got to do your taxes. And, you know, hopefully you have some vendors who you can outsource some stuff to who can help you. But at the end of the day, every buck stops on your desk when you're a solopreneur. And every now and then you have to just close the laptop, turn off the phone and go do something that you really enjoy doing. I tell you, it is so refreshing. I mean, it can recharge you in so many ways if you will just do that. The problem is most of us aren't very good at it. If you ask my wife and my kids, they'll tell you, dad, I can't believe you're giving this as advice because you suck at that. But the truth is, is that it's really good when you can go and just get away, whether it's a vacation for a weekend or, or maybe longer, or even if it's just a little bit of an afternoon. Early on when I first started my business, I used to go and rent a kayak about maybe not every month, but every six weeks or so, and go out on Ladybird Lake in downtown Austin and leave my phone in the car and just go. And I can tell you, I would come back more recharged. And so when I was looking over sort of the tips, I thought, you know what, this is going to have to be part of my 2015 goal list to take a little more time off. So let's jump into today's show. Today's show, we have with us Dave Lewis, and he is the CEO of DemandGen. He started his career at Microsoft in the sales and marketing team. Then he moved to the Silicon Valley, where he worked for three different really good startups in the Valley. And then in 2007, he founded DemandGen. It is now an Inc. 500 global consulting firm that helps sales and marketing teams achieve alignment, define and operationalize demand generation process, and create maximum advantage from marketing automation and CRM systems. So, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's great to uh, join you. Well, and you are also the author of a book called Manufacturing Demand. Is that correct? I was, or, or am, I should say. I published the book about two years ago, and, you know, listening to you describe you know, what my firm does is, as you know, you know, so much has shifted to uh, marketing in terms of, you know, the art of marketing has become the science of marketing because all of us are researching and buying products online. So I started the company eight years ago to help companies, you know, harness the power of all these marketing technology tools like marketing automation. And after a few years, um, after, you know, doing a lot of public speaking and doing a lot of consulting, I realized that it would be great to take the ideas that we're sharing with each one of our clients and putting them into a book uh, so that people could read it uh, and absorb the insights on how to leverage marketing automation and CRM and related technologies. So, yeah, Manufacturing Demand uh, is the name of the book. It gets the idea of, you know, having one integrated process between sales and marketing and the idea that you can take all these tools and technologies and build yourself a demand factory in the book 
is a book, a recipe book on how to go about doing that. Excellent. And I always like full disclosure, New Year Publishing, who I am involved with, is your publisher. And, uh, you know, I, I have known you probably for, I don't know, eight or seven or eight years because we have a mutual friend and my business partner, Dave Morris. But your business has grown so much since we first crossed paths, maybe in 2008 or something like that. Could you tell the audience a little bit about where you started and where you are today? You, you bet. So, you know, I always have an entrepreneurial mindset since since I was born and understood, you know, the ability to kind of productize either services or offerings. I've always wanted to have my own business and I've had my own business several times um, when I was younger. And, and I'm not including the lemonade stands, but, <laughs> you know, for example, I was a DJ through college and, you know, took the initiative to get my business cards to, you know, buy speakers and buy turntables and collect records and go out and market myself uh, and enjoy building a business from scratch. So, you know, while those were the kinds of businesses that, that only scaled to me, um, demand gen eight years ago is the first time I did a business uh, that we've now scaled to. We're approaching a hundred people, and uh, you know, it, that was you know a bigger risk than the ones that I took earlier in in my career. And and you know, be happy to share the story of kind of you know how that that came about. And it was um, it was it was rewarding, but it happened late in my career. You know, everything leading up to that, as you mentioned earlier, Tom, I was in Silicon Valley. I've done startups, but I was never the founder, and I was just an early member of the the founding team. I was an investor in those those companies, uh, shareholder. But this is the first company where I actually was the investor and built a multi person uh, you know team and, and business. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you sort of went from working for these startups and investing in the startups to actually taking that leap and doing it yourself? You know the the story, which I think is a it's an exciting one because you have to look. For this, for, for anyone listening in is thinking, you know, am I ready to be an entrepreneur? Am I ready to get started? My story is pretty interesting. I was head of marketing for a company called Ellie Mae, and I went to dinner with a uh, person that was speaking at a conference that we were hosting. So he was the primary speaker, just like you do a lot of speaking, Tom. You know, he was the guest speaker and keynote for a session that we were doing the following day. And that night I had dinner with him just to kind of prep him about, about the, the audience and to build some rapport with him. And he asked me, you know, how are things going at work? And uh, this gentleman's name is Todd Duncan, and he had written a number of books himself. And I said, you know, things are going great at my company, um, but I have this really burning desire to start this business. And I've been putting together a business plan at night. And, you know, Todd, as, a, as an entrepreneur yourself, I'd love to get your insights so I shared with him the idea. I told him marketing was going through a major transformation and that I had brought in all these tools and technologies to Ellie Mae and saw the power of them firsthand and that I'd like to help other companies, you know, embrace these technologies as well. And there's a big growing market. And this is about you know, a little more than eight years ago. And he's, she, you know, I shared the idea with him and he said, you know, Dave, I think your timing's excellent because it sounds like you're getting a very early start on what could be a very big market. And I can hear your passion and he goes, I think, you know, Dave, what I hear from you is you're, you're asking me, you know, what, what's my input on doing it? And I'd say, you know, his, his was do whatever you're passionate about, kind of the success and money will follow, you know, that, that, you know, success comes from happiness, not the other way around. And he saw how charged up I was. But he also told me something really important, which is what I want to pass on is that he said, Dave, you're not going to figure your whole business out 
prior to starting the company. In fact, you're going to learn more after you start the company about how to shape and scale the business than you will leading up to it. So just take a leap, jump, and trust that you'll know how to fly, and you'll figure out how to fly on your way down, and then you'll figure out how to soar over time and, and keep going. And you know, I, I took that uh, advice and, and resigned later that week and started my business uh, a couple weeks following uh, after I gave notice. And best advice I ever got. And I think, you know, I just want to pass on that if you have an idea and you're passionate about it and you're convinced there's a market for it, don't look for validation from others. You know, it helps to, but more people will, there are not a lot of entrepreneurs in the world and more people will tell you reasons that you shouldn't take the risk or maybe, um, you know, persuade you not to do it. And I, I just, you know, if you're passionate about it, go, go after it. And if it's something that's going to make you happy, you're already successful if you're doing something that makes you happy. So I had a guest on the show a couple of episodes, but maybe three episodes ago named John Corcoran. And John said that one of his pieces of advice as we sort of wrap the show up was be careful about taking advice from people who haven't done it. So he said when he started his, like you said, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they just aren't entrepreneurs. He said he got a lot of negative, negative advice or, or like, you know, maybe you should go the safe route. He has a law degree. Maybe you should go to work for a, for a law firm. And it was the people who were actually out there really making their way in the world and carving their own path and starting something who were the ones who were really positive to him. So I thought that was kind of a neat piece of advice that he shared. Yeah, you know, and, and Steve Jobs was kind of famous, especially in the movie uh, that Ashton Kutcher um, portrayed him in. You know, he talked about once you realize that the world around us has been built by, you know, people just like yourself you realize you can accomplish anything. And so you can easily talk yourself out of doing something. You can easily talk yourself into doing something. I think, once again, it comes down to, is what you're looking to do something that's going to charge you up every single day and be passionate about it? Because if the answer to that is yes, don't try to figure out all the details and nuances of the business because you're going to be successful just doing something you love. Well, and I love the advice that he gave you where, you know, you may or may not have been looking for validation, but his answer was, I hear the passion in your voice, you know, and that's what it's really all about. If you if you have a, a legitimate, you know, piece of business that can work and you want to do it, then I think that, you know, you're on the right path. And clearly, you know, 2007 was, what, eight years ago. You've clearly taken taken the company from, you know, that impetus, that starting point to 100 employees and, and doing great things and working with some amazing companies. Yeah, we did about $400,000 in revenue in our first year, which was about six months. Um, we hit the $10 million, uh, mark uh, this past year. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah. That's a big mark. Thanks. And, and every step of the way, you know, you feel the stretch marks and so much of what I've really learned about not only having a good idea and executing on it is it comes down to just having a great team. And if you surround yourself with really smart, also passionate people, uh, it makes the whole journey a, a lot easier and a lot more rewarding. So I call the, the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What cool things are you doing at the company now? Well, you know, in the beginning, we were very outwardly focused. We were all focused on delighting our clients and delivering services that really impacted the clients. And I think that was the right place for us to start. It was the right focus. What we've done over the past couple years as the business has grown and enabled to us is focused on making this the best place that anyone's ever worked and putting together, you know, employee recognition uh, and programs in place that really provide a message to our employees that we value their and their contributions and we, you know, encourage them to bring their initiative and, and ideas. So we've got a hero program. We started providing, uh, you know, 401k contributions to help people with retirement. Uh, we, 
you know, spend, uh, we do company offsites and they're more like if you've ever been in sales and you've gone to like sales club, these are like those kind of experiences. So we're really investing in our employees. We're continuing, you know, in customer loyalty and, and, and what we've done in the beginning, but we expanded the cool things that we're doing is expanding into really making for our employees just an exceptional place to work. And, um, of note, we've got about 10 people in our headquarters in San Ramon and the other, you know, 80, 80 people all work out of their homes. So our employees have an, a tremendous quality of life balance that's, that's probably been unmatched in their careers. Wow, that's fantastic. So, so Dave, what is it personally that you absolutely love? I mean, you, you spent a lot of time in corporate America working for the company. What do you absolutely love about starting your own thing and, and being the boss and, and growing something? You know, I, I didn't realize this early on, Tom, but uh, as I've gotten older and, and looked at who I am, I've really understood that I like to be in control. You know, I like to wake up in the morning and have an idea and execute on it or have an idea and spend the next year executing on it. And when I worked for Microsoft, which was the first company that I worked for outside of college, such a large organization at that time, you know, there was 2,000 employees in the company. I was part of the U.S. sales and marketing team to introduce Windows and the first Windows products, had a chance to have dinner with, you know, Bill Gates and had a lot of access to senior management. What I found was, you know, even though I was 22 at the time, uh, what I found was my bright ideas were not welcomed. Uh, I was given a role and responsibility. That's what they really wanted me to do. And so this entrepreneurial spirit of bringing, you know, ideas to the table, which, you know, the idea at that time, like one of my first big ideas was, I think we should bundle the software applications and not sell Word, Excel, and PowerPoint as separate applications but bring them together into, you know, a package. Well, of course, today there's a Microsoft office. So, you know, <laughs> that was good a good idea. I- that was a really good idea, Dave. <laughs> but but I found when I shared the idea, the resistance I got was, you know, Dave, that we that would really jeopardize our revenue. You know, we make about $400 per product. And if we did something like that, you know, we'd lose tons of revenue bundling it together. We'd have to come up with all new packaging. You know, <laughs> there was a lot of resistance around, you know, that idea while it might make sense, you know, Dave, from an easier sales perspective, um, people would have to buy into Excel, Word, and PowerPoint, where now our model allows them to buy one product and not have to commit to all of our suites. So I met all this resistance, and it was frustrating to me because it seems so common sense. And you know what, Tom? I'm not sure it was a, a good idea at that time. It certainly later became part of their structure. But what I learned was working in a company where I had initiative and ideas, it wasn't always welcomed. And even though that might have been the right thing for the company, I struggled with it. And so being an entrepreneur for me, what I love about it is I get to take accountability for the good ideas and the bad ideas. And I only have, you know, myself to answer to if we don't execute, you know. So I just, I like the opportunity to be accountable and to have the freedom to think big and work with the team to achieve those goals. It's really rewarding to me. I'm a big risk taker, and so I, I really enjoy that part of being an entrepreneur. So as a boss then, are you really sort of the opposite of what you experienced early in your career? Do you try to encourage the people you know, to come to you with those ideas, even if they're not right at the time? Are you a little bit more open to, to that type of input? I, I, absolutely. And in fact, I get disappointed with people who don't take initiative and work within the box or the job description that's provided to them. I really, 
understand that, you know, um, you know, the person who came up with the idea at Amazon of, of one click buying has contributed, you know, countless value to that company. The person who came up with the idea of Amazon Prime is another brilliant idea. And these were created by the staff, um, not by the executive staff. And so in our organization, you know, the, the folks that have come up with the tools, the methodologies, uh, you know, the marketing initiatives, sales initiatives that have contributed to our value, so appreciative of it. And I, I really look for people, especially in a startup, that not only have the ideas, but are willing to see their ideas to completion. That's that's equally important. Yeah, I always find that, you know, I had a, a series of different jobs, and I always found that the bosses who learned what they didn't like on the way up, who were open to, you know, being different than the bosses they had, were always better than the ones who sort of fell into the, well, this is the way it was when I was coming up the ranks, you have to pay your dues kind of guys. Yeah, and it's, it's challenging with the millennials um, because, you know, this whole new generation of workforce, they feel very entitled and it's very challenging sometimes to balance taking on their ideas and initiatives and them expecting like huge things in return for doing that. So <laughs> you have to be careful about the expectations that you set on encouraging initiative and, and you know, certain people feeling that there's a certain level of reward that needs to come with them doing, quote unquote, more than what their job entails. You've got to set the expectation from the beginning that part of your job is coming up with innovation and taking initiative. That's not, you know, something on top of your job. Right, right. That's a, that, that's a, that's actually really good advice. We could probably do a whole show just talking about, you know, dealing with the millennials as they come up. Yeah. So I asked you what you really like. Is there anything that you don't like? Are there any days you wake up and think, I could have stayed with Microsoft? Yeah, no, I, I, um, I don't look back on my career journey and have any regrets um, I've been fired by jobs, and those have been incredibly valuable learnings for me. I've had tremendous success at jobs uh, in my career, and those have been everything has been a building block to bring me to where I am right now. The things that I that I have you know regrets or struggle with is you know the bigger your company gets, the further sometimes you are from working in the business. You can get stuck working on the business. And if what you originally, you know, if, if someone likes building homes and they grow a company where they no longer are doing construction, they may not like what they're doing anymore. So for me, I set out from the beginning that my whole passion for starting the company was to help companies embrace marketing technology. And after a couple of years, as the company grew, and I had to step further away from being a consultant and advising companies and working more on my company and being you know, the CEO, I, I definitely miss the interaction uh, that I was giving and receiving from being a consultant. And so to address that and still stick within my role, I started doing a lot more public speaking and writing the book. So I was able to satisfy that inner consultant, that that hands-on high engagement with people role by, you know, being more of the visionary CEO than let's call it an, an operational CEO. So if someone's listening to this and that maybe they work for a, a you know, a tech company and, and they're encountering the same type of things, they have ideas and people are kind of rolling their eyes at them and they say, you know, get out of here, kid, you bother me, get back to work. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to go do their own thing? I, I think you got to you know do a little bit of a mind map. You know, maybe grab a whiteboard or a big piece of paper and 
you know, put a big circle in the middle and it says, you know, running my own business. And then off of that circle, put the why spokes. You know, why do you want to do that? Um, do you want the freedom to come up with ideas and see them through to completion? Do you want to have control over your income and not be, you know, accountable to someone else deciding what your compensation is? Do you want to build a team and be a leader? Uh, do you want to be an innovator and bring something to market? Like, what's motivating you to be an entrepreneur and mind map all those things out and then ask yourself, you know, of those things, you know, will, will starting your own company and the company that the person's maybe envisioning um, help them to achieve those things and, and all of them or some of them? But at, really got a soul search and, and ask themselves why they want to be an entrepreneur. A lot of people think about starting their own company because they're unhappy at work. The right answer for them might be to get themselves into a better career or better company. Um, it's not necessarily starting your own business. And when you start your own business, you got you got to do it all. You got to be the marketing person, the salesperson, the servicing person, the finance person. You know, until you are making enough income or have enough investment that you can hire those other people. I don't want people to think for a minute that being an entrepreneur is, is just always doing the things that you love doing. You're going to have to do a lot of things that you don't love doing until you can staff and hire the people who are either better at or enjoy those things more than you do. And that doesn't happen overnight. No. And in fact, you know, I'm a solopreneur. I work for myself. And and one of the things is I have to wear all the hats. So I have to do, you know, the basic accounting. I mean, I have an accountant who helps me with my taxes, but, you know, I have to record stuff and I'm just not good at it. And I just don't like to do it, which means that, you know, it's always a pain. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't have that complicated of a business. It's it's pretty easy for me to do. So, you know, at the end of the day, I have to do it. Now, I can outsource some other things, but, you know, everybody thinks, oh, what a great life. You know, you're you're starting your own business. You're off on your own. And what I've found is, is that, you know, there's a lot of days where, you know, you just kind of beat your head against the wall because, you know, there's little nuances of stuff you have to get done. And it's not always glamorous. And I would say to you, Tom, you know, I, I don't know the, the economics of your business, but I can say that this is very good advice. If there's anything that you don't like doing and or not good at, and yet the business needs it done, I think you should outsource that. And I think that's a very important lesson that I've learned is there are people who love to do bookkeeping. There are people who love to do paperwork. There are love, you know, people who love to plan an office move and see all the details through that. If I don't enjoy doing those things and or I'm not good at them, I should absolutely not do them. And where it may seem like an expense to outsource that and hire, the ROI from doing so is tremendous because it means that you can spend the time on the things that you are good at, that you enjoy doing. And, you know, there's a there's an exponential multiplier that comes from doing that. Well, and that's actually probably great advice because it goes back to what you started with in, in sort of the introduction. And that was you said success comes from happiness. And when you're doing things that don't make you happy, you know, I know that that can, you know, kick my own success in the teeth. Yeah, it may, it may seem so crazy to think, oh, I'm going to hire a bookkeeper to do my invoicing and that type of stuff for my small business. You know how many people are either retired or pseudo-retired that would love to keep busy and keep mentally stimulated? And if they, you know, had a former background in accounting and, you know, you, you reached out on Facebook or whatever your, your social network is and said, hey, I'm looking for someone to help me with my bookkeeping. Is anybody interested? You'd be shocked to find out how many people would love to do that type of stuff. We use a neighbor of ours, a friend of ours, to help us with event planning. She loves doing it. And we don't pay her a lot of money for doing it. And yet, 
it's a tremendous set of responsibilities and done well, it has a tremendous impact on the business. So I don't think you're ever too small to outsource tasks that you either don't enjoy doing or you're not good at it. So no, that's great advice. So Dave, we could talk about you and, and Demand Gen International all day long because your company's doing some really cool things. But I think some of the best entrepreneurs, they're observers. So they're always watching what other people are doing. So who's out there that you want to share that you think, wow, he or she, they're really kicking it. So um, I'm going to talk about a friend of mine. That's, you know, you, you and I, just before we, we kicked off today, I, I knew that that was one of the questions that you were going to you know, ask me because you wanted me to give a very thoughtful answer. And so um, I thought a lot about it. And I said, you know, why would I be admiring another entrepreneur? Is it what they're doing from an innovation perspective? Is it the amount of risk they're taking? Is it what they're doing for their employees? So I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And the person, I'm not going to say his name because I don't know if he wants me to disclose all this, but we'll just call him Brad. And my friend is a owner of a very large number of uh, franchise um, businesses. Um, and what I mean by that is, and I, again, I won't give the specifics, but think of Subway, think of Burger King, and then just think of another you know, global fast food provider. And, and he owns a lot of these stores, a lot of them, something like 40, 45 of them. And for years, I always asked him what keeps him awake at night. And he said, E. coli. He said, that's the thing that I worry about the most because if E. coli, you know, gets into our food stream, that's going to really have a negative impact on our business. As he got more and more mature and and stuck with the business longer, that no longer became his answer. And it was sustainability. It was how to continue to grow the firm and stay relevant in the marketplace. And so what I like what he has done is he's always been paranoid. He's always been thinking, what type of asteroid could hit my business that would turn me from having a very successful, profitable, uh, and well-known business to one that is either you know shrinking, unprofitable, or falling apart? And because he's always been paranoid, uh, he has, over the last couple of years, started two other businesses. And this is someone who makes you know a very good living very good earning, and yet he's diversified himself into other businesses. He got into real estate and bought several dozen homes and started renting those homes, and he did that because he wanted to have a business that was less employee-dependent, you know, more sustainability, uh, as well as he's recently opened up another um, business where he's providing uh, ice machines, you know, the kind where you can buy big bags of ice um, by, you know, renting space and parking lots and putting these machines out there. And again, he did that because he wanted to be less dependent on commodities as well as less dependent on people for generating revenue. So really, really smart entrepreneur in that he's diversifying himself and not just back on his heels thinking everything's perfect. So I, I like the fact that he continues to take what he's good at, which is taking a business and scaling it and creating repeatable processes. And he's very good with the numbers and the projections uh, and doing that, you know, for two other businesses for himself. So, you know, you asked him an interesting question. You said, what keeps you awake at night? So what keeps you awake at night, Dave? I think balance in terms of knowing how much to invest and grow the business, uh, you know, how much risk to take. Um, You know, I'm still the only investor in the company. And every year I think about, you know, how much growth should we take on? And we're very fortunate that we're in a market that has a lot of elasticity. If we put more money in sales and marketing, we're going to see more growth. But those investments, you know, could, when you're growing, 
ultimately end up in having a very challenging year if the tide turns. And when I started the company, Tom, you know, it was 2007, 2008. This was not a good time in our economy, and yet we grew and, and, and thrived. And now we're in a very strong time, or at least we have the perception. I don't, you know, it depends who you talk to, Republicans, Democrats, this person, that person, depending on their view of the economy. But I think we'd all agree that we're in a growth time because of you know, the investments that people are making, at least in, in our market. So what keeps me awake at night is just getting that balance right. Am I investing enough for growth or should I be retaining more earnings um, for waiting for those rainy days? So, Dave, another question I like to ask everybody who comes on the show is because I think in addition to being, a, you know, good observers, I also think that good entrepreneurs like to leave their mark and help others and serve the greater good. What is it that you do in that respect? What do you do to serve the greater good? You know, I have a very, Tom, you know, go-giver personality. I'm, I'm probably one of the most generous people that, that, that people know. You know, they often tell me that. Um, I look for ways to uh, be generous. And so one of the things that the company's success has afforded us is the ability to, to give back to important causes. So uh, my youngest has type 1 diabetes. And so we donate a percentage of our profits to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And, you know, I'm able to make contributions much greater to them than I've ever could have done on my own personal. And I just make that an important priority for the company every year. We've often made donations uh, to the American Heart Association. We've had a number of uh, employees whose family members have suffered heart disease. And so we've made contributions to them. Anytime someone passes away uh, or has a family member pass away in the firm, we typically make a donation to their cause of, of choice. Uh, and recently, we just uh, donated money to a hospital in Roatan who is looking to develop their hospital. I went out there and saw how impoverished the area is. And someone asked me, um, just coincidentally, hey, there's a hospital that his wife works at in Roatan. And, you know, Dave is our company in a position to make a donation to them. And, and we, we, um, we did that. So um, just looking for important causes where we can take some of our profits and try to help uh, people get healthier um, has been a, a big focus of ours. Well, and I love that the story about all of that, but I love the part about how, you know, your son has the, the issue with the diabetes and how you've made that a cause for the company. That sort of dovetails along with what we do. My youngest daughter was born with a condition where the bones in her skull were fused together and she had to go through massive surgery. And, you know, we weren't in a position to write, you know, a check to the hospital, to the foundation or anything like that. And, you know, about a couple years later, I, I was looking for a way to get involved with a cause. And somebody I asked, you know, how do you get involved? And they're like, write a big check. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. And when they opened the local children's hospital in our community that didn't exist when my daughter was born, we were able to start a giving endowment where we just gave a little bit of a percentages of my speaking fees. And at the time, I had a full-time job. So when I would get paid to go speak, it was sort of a bonus. So we didn't miss any of the, the small percentage that we were giving. But then I started doing this full-time. And some people said, well, you know, while you're launching your business, you're not going to donate. But we were already in the habit of doing it. And so we continued to just give just a little piece of every speaking fee. And I never could have given what we've given by tying it to the business. You brought up a really great point that by just tying a little percentage of it, you know, I don't know what the numbers are for you, but it's, you know, you're a big company. I'm sure that they've become very significant. And even in our little world, you know, we've given to the point that, you know, we now have two endowments, one at the local hospital and one at the children's hospital in San Diego where our daughter was operated on. And what has become of it is I call it compounded generosity. 
you know, they teach everybody about compounded interest, that if you start saving when you're in your 20s, you're going to retire with a big pool of, of money. Of course, none of us really do that, but that's the theory of what they teach. The same thing is true, I think, with generosity. When you tie just a little bit of your company's success, you know, to a cause, it's amazing where it can go. In my case, just over, you know, eight years, but, you know, over a lifetime, that can compound to really big numbers. So I'm really impressed that you guys have done that. Yeah, and it, it's actually my my daughter, my youngest oh, daughter sorry. is the one with, with type 1 diabetes. And, um, you know, I mentioned earlier about my personality being go-giver. I mean, there is a book, um, The Go-Giver, and I highly recommend that anybody reads it. Certainly every entrepreneur should read it. But I think, Tom, you know, I've, I've met you before and I've seen you out in public speaking. You know, I see your energy that comes from interacting with people and giving to the audiences that you speak to. And what I've learned most from being an entrepreneur is, you know, it's not what you get in life, it's what you give. And that the best way to get, to feel a sense of reward, to feel, you know, huge releases of dopamine in your brain and and happiness is by giving to others. And so if you're building a business that, you know, like I said, you're passionate about, and that business output is giving to others, whether it's giving of your services or your product or making donations to charities, that is the most rewarding part. And, um, the most touching comment I've ever received from uh, an employee is when I asked someone who came onto the team and I said, hey, um, how are things going at work? And he said, how are things going? He said, I'm a better father and a better dad by working here. And things are going great, Dave. Thanks, thanks for letting me join the team. Um, that really captures you know, what, I, what the rewards have been of being an entrepreneur and just building careers for people and helping people. God, that's great. So that's fantastic. Dave, if anybody wants to know more about Demand Gin or about you or about your book or anything, where can they find you? How can people get in touch with you? You know, the, the good old World Wide Web is the best <laughs> place. Um, our website, you know, the company's name is Demand Gen with a G. It's short for Demand Generation. So demandgen.com. They can learn more about our company. Um, we, we mostly serve corporations and large enterprises and helping them with marketing technology. If anyone would like a copy of my book, they can download an entirely free copy at manufacturingdemand.com. And that'll give them ideas about uh, aligning sales and marketing and the use of marketing and sales technology. Well, Dave Lewis, thank you very much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Tom, thank you. It was great to meet you uh, several years ago. I'm glad you introduced me to Dave and gave me the opportunity to to hit a personal goal of writing my book and uh, really enjoyed having a chance to share some of my story with you and the and the audience today. Well, I appreciate it. And for those of you who tuned in, I hope you learned a lot from Dave and thank you very, very much for being part of our show. We'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do Facebook page, or you can follow me on Twitter at Tom Singer, that's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R, or I also have a Twitter feed for the podcast, which is at cool podcast so go on out there and have a great day thank you for being part of the cool things entrepreneurs do podcast without your participation and listening to these conversations there is no show connect with tom at tomsinger.com and follow him on twitter at at tom singer this podcast was produced in part by podfly.net podfly passion for great sounding podcasts This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.